Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. So um, we're in we're in this his house, our home, and uh, we did seriously just want to just talk this morning in a slightly different way and make it um, sort of conversational in a way. Uh, we're going to pause at a couple of points to put a couple of questions out for you to discuss, and um, the whole purpose of this series at the moment is, is really to take a moment to say, you know, we, we're regathering, which is brilliant. Um, we're so entering a, very much entering a new season. It's great to just pause and say, let's just take stock of who we are, what we stand for, what we stand on, uh, what we're convinced of, and, um, and just, just do something in a way that for many of us who've, who've done the belonging course, it might be years ago, um, and we've got a little bit more time in these sessions just to take some of those themes that are important to us on belonging and expand on them a little bit more. So, so this morning is leadership. There we go. And we're going to look at several things, um, some really important aspects of leadership, whether there are biblical patterns of leadership in the New Testament that are still relevant today, um, how we should apply them, what we mean by um, the, the gifts of Christ, the Ephesians 4 gifts, and why they matter, um, what is the role of elders, um, how do we respond to authority, what do we mean by that, uh, what, is the task, what is the leadership task of the whole body, of, of the rest of the body, all of the body, and, um, and how do we honor scripture where to do so is countercultural? So those things are going to be covered both this morning and, and then part two will be by way of a video, midweek message, which will go out uh, be for use next week. So, so um, if you could just put the next slide up, um, the kingdom of God is, is countercultural and I'll hand over to Rich. Yeah, so um, as you know, a few, few weeks ago, probably a few months ago, talked about being influencers and made it clear that as believers, we're all called to lead. So every person in this room, if you're a believer, you are called to lead and that there's, God has given us spheres of influence. Well, that might be our family, it might be the workplace that we're in, it might be our communities. Um, in lots of different ways, God wants us to, to be leaders. We're ambassadors of Christ. We're a kingdom of priests. You know, these are our phrases that within them are inherently kind of carry this, this sense of leadership. And we know where to do that. But also we're called as believers to submit. And, um, and that's actually a really powerful thing. And that's probably the countercultural thing, to be willing to submit. If you turn in your Bibles to Romans 13, and we're going we're gonna to look at some verses together today uh, to just help us to understand, hopefully... Um, Better, what we mean by authority, what we mean by submission, what we mean by headship, and, uh, and what the word has to say about those things that are unchanging, mm. eternal principles. Um, Romans 13.1 says, um, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. It's really important that we recognize that, yeah. that we honor our government. God has given them the authority. Now, how they use that, obviously, that's up to them. But God has given authority to governments, and we are to live and submit to that authority. Because on the authorities, uh, verse 3, do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but those who are doing wrong. Verse 4, 
The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. Verse 5 says, so you must submit to them. So Paul has been really clear that there are, there's delegated authority through the government, um, through civil authorities that we to submit to. If you turn to Hebrews 13, because all of these submission verses are, are, cha- are chapters are 13, apparently. Hebrews 13, verse 17. says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So there's a submission to civil authorities, submission to our spiritual leaders. And then Hebrews, no, sorry, Hebrews, Ephesians 5, 21, if you just turn back there. I'm going to read these so that they kind of describe what we talk about in, in a bit more detail as we go today, but... Ephesians 5.21 says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So submit to civil authorities, submit to spiritual leaders, submit to one another. For wives, this means submit, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. So submission in marriage, submission in home, children to obey parents, slaves and masters in in, um, Ephesians 6, just a little bit further along. And so we see that submission is part of God's desire to extend his authority. How we come under his authority is to come under the authority of civil leaders, Authority in the home and headship in the home and authority and submission and headship in the church. And as we do that, we do it out of conviction, not compulsion. We do it with faith, not out of fear. And we do it with delight, not out of a sense of duty. And as we do that, we come under God's rule and authority. And therefore, we know security and blessing as a result. And, and the, the other issue is leaders have to lead. When you read through the Old Testament in particular, and you look at the, the fortunes, if you like, of Israel, they are successful under the leadership of godly leaders like David, and they are in the absolute doldrums in the, in the book of Judges, where there's no king in the land, and everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And so we can see there the, the importance of leadership, the importance of submission explained to us in the Word. And we want to just talk a little bit about leadership in the church in particular. And if you put the slide up that just talks about the nature and purpose of leadership. And so um, in Matthew 20, if you just turn to Matthew 20, because Jesus talks very clearly to his disciples about how they're to lead and how they're to express leadership. Matthew 20, 25. Jesus calls the lads together because they're all having an argument about who's going to be in charge and who's going to be put in, in honor, in the place of honor um, after his glory. And in uh, verse 25 of Matthew 20, Jesus says, You know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Yes. Of course Jesus is always the example of leadership. Jesus is the example of, of how to be a husband. Jesus is the perfect leader and he's saying this is how you do it. It's not about trying to get to the top but it's recognizing that you're, you're there to support and underpin. That's how you lead servant leadership. 
throughout the Bible, there's this leadership that occurs by plurality. We believe in a plurality of elders, more than one elder, because we need to be accountable to one another. Mm -hmm. And also the the range of gifts and abilities and insights. It's such a blessing to have, you know, Deborah brought a prophetic word about a palette of paints. Mm -hmm. And that that palette brings uh, richness to it. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:1, follow me as I follow Christ. Yes. If you just turn to 1 Peter 5, we'll just turn this one up as well, and then we'll have read a number of significant verses that are helpful for us today. But if you just turn to 1 Peter 5, Peter, who had been in that meeting with Jesus when he had the, the disciples together to talk about the sorts of leaders <laughs> that they're to be, he now passes this on to the elders in the church. He says, and now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he's revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you'll get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people. Can you hear the words of Jesus ringing through Peter? Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your good example. That there's something to, of an example in leaders. That leaders themselves are to be submitted to authority. And even Jesus himself said, the Father is greater than I. That doesn't mean the Father's better or of more value. But Jesus is recognizing this distinction of, of headship and submission that he was willing to come under. He says, the Father has sent me, John 5, 23. The Father is greater than me, John 14, 28. And Jesus says, I've come to do his will. John 4:34. And lastly then, because of submission, then as leaders in the church, we have delegated authority. And it's the Roman centurion that, in a sense, sort of blows Jesus away with this revelation that he has of what it means to be under authority. And therefore, because he's under authority, he therefore has authority. Jesus sends the apostles out with authority. And as I just prayed, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go carry my delegated authority into the world. So a few examples, a few statements there about the, the kind of the nature of leadership that we see um, in the church. And, and just to say something about the purpose of leadership. And if I could turn you to Colossians 1, uh, where Paul, Paul really conveys, I think, the heart of the heart behind what, what the purpose of leadership is as he sees it, at least as it, as it runs through his veins. Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29, he says, We proclaim Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Um, the, I think the, the ultimate purpose of leadership is, is to present everyone mature in Christ. Yeah, that's right. That as a church, we can, we can say, we, we've come to maturity, we've, we've come to fullness, we've come to a stature that, uh, that reflects and, measure, and measures well against Christ. And, and if leadership can be part of that directing and shaping the church so that we come, in, come into that kind of maturity, I think that's, that's the heart of the purpose of leadership. In Ephesians 4... And we're going to say more about this in the midweek video. But in Ephesians 4, um, it describes the, the gifts of Christ, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. 
um, verse 12, it says, They are for the training of the saints in the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man. Again, he's talking about maturity in the church. You know, leadership is not just to sort of organize our events. It's much, much bigger than that. It's to help us grow into fullness and maturity. Um, Paul also talks in 2 Corinthians about an authority he has for building you up, he says, for building you up, not tearing you down, for building you up. Um, Richard talked about the example of, of, of setting an example. And um, I think properly expressed leadership in the church provides a, a covering, a protection for God's people as we submit to those um, who the Lord has placed over us. There's great security in that. There's great protection in that. It brings strength. It brings security. And, and the last thing I want to just say about the purpose of leadership is that part of the heart of God expressed in both the Old and the New Testament is he never wants to see sheep without a shepherd. And so I think that really breaks God's heart to see sheep without shepherds, without carers, without leaders, without those to feed and, and protect and look after them. So um, we're going to just put a little question out there now for discussion, and you can just turn around and chat with those near you. Um, so if you could put the question up, oh, there it is behind us. What is your view, before we say a bit more about this, what's your view of authority and submission? And what has shaped your view? Is it experience? Is it culture? Is it something in scripture? So just, if you could um, spend just a few minutes on that question. We're just talking, beginning to talk about authority and submission. Things we're going to come on to say more about in just a moment. So off you go for just three or four minutes. We're gonna, we've got another question to, for you to, to chat around again uh, just a little bit later. But I just, we're just going to just spend a few minutes sort of defining a few terms. Authority headship and submission. Authority being uh, the New Testament word exousia. I'm going to get a bit, a bit of Greek on you. Um, headship, which is kephale, and uh, submission, which is hypotasso. And um, when, when we talk about authority, we've already sort of mentioned this, exousia is, is power, and it's um, the, the right to, to exercise power and to have authority. And so, therefore, it's to act without hindrance, to have a freedom to act. It's the power to carry out an action, usually because of an authorization to do so, within a, a certain sphere and, and range. And so, as we've already said, every person has authority, and every person is expected to submit to authority. And the way that God um, sort of sees his authority, as I've already said, exercised to his creation, and particularly to humanity, is through civil authorities in the home and in the church. That's where God wants to see his delegated authority outworked and expressed. And David's going to pick up some stuff on headship and submission. Just to take these, um, these next words, kephale, that's the word that the Bible uses for head. And it, mean, it, it literally means the most prominent part of something. So it, it literally refers to the head. And when we talk about uh, the instructions on prayer and prophecy, which we'll look at in a few weeks' time, um, we'll, we'll explore this much more. So the word for, for the physical head is kephale, but it also means head as in an authority over. So it has both those meanings. And, and, and I really love this next word. You might have heard me mention it before. Hupatasso, which is the word translated submit. 
And um, rather than implying anything about subordination or, 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 or a hierarchy of, of, of any type, what this word means is to be, literally, when you break the word up, it means to be under arrangement. And I love the fact that when we submit to the things that God asks us to submit to, we come under God's arrangement for his church. So where headship and submission are outworked, uh, properly outworked in a marriage, in a home, or in the, in the church, it's to come under God's arrangement, and that's a really wonderful, beautiful thing. Um, uh, we're just going to move on, and I'm going to show you a, a little picture in a moment. So if you just move us on to the next slide. We're going to talk in a moment about how uh, authority has first of all been created and then how it was corrupted and the fact that Jesus has corrected things and, and for this um, there's a little cheeky little chart coming up there you go cheeky chart can you all see that in all its glory from the back of the room <laughs> um, some really important things expressed here um, in, in, in a way that I hope is helpful that dotted line is that's the boundary between heaven and earth Obviously, a dotted line somewhere. Who knows where it is? And, uh, and so above the line, we've got... Um, I'm just making the statement that God created authority. And, um, and then and we'll go back to all of these things in just a moment. And then gave authority to Adam and Eve. Uh, right at the beginning, he, gave, he gives authority, authorizes them to outwork the mandate. But, but when they fell, authority or, or, or some of that authority was surrendered and immediately became corrupted and authority and the outworking of it was 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 corrupted and that's that flat line along the bottom and and then Jesus came to um, cast out the ruler of this world and to restore all things and so now there's a there's been a correction and we can express authority now as it says on the right hand side there in the family in the church in our mission we can express authority again the way the way God always intended so just to take you to the, back to the top left of that chart, um, God created all authority. Richard already read from Romans 13.1. But look also in Colossians chapter 1 and verse um, 16, where it tells us that uh, God, through Christ, uh, verse 15 says, He, Christ, is the image of of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation because by him everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him mm. and for him. Yeah. So we've got this, this, this um, uh, the fact that God created all authority and therefore... Um, in looking at how authority is to be expressed and how these words headship and submission, to, to, to be head, to submit, to submit, how those things work, the only place we can look to see with any authority how authority is to be expressed is in the Godhead. We can't, we can't, take, our, um, can't take our example from anything on that flat line at the bottom. We have to look back into God and see how is authority expressed? How is headship and submission expressed in the one who created authority? Uh, and what we see there are, are two really important things. We see, first of all, that within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, there is total equality. I, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. 
Um, Colossians tells us that all the fullness of the deity of the Godhead exists in Christ in bodily form. So there's, there's no way you can separate Father, Son, and Spirit in terms of their value, their worth, their essence. Father, Son, and Spirit are equal, perfectly equal. And yet, as Richard has um, already hinted, there is a, an order within the Godhead. There is a headship and the submission. Jesus said, the Father is greater than I. He said, the Father, I have been sent by the Father to do his will. Um, then Jesus said, and, and the Father and I will send another one, the Holy Spirit, who's just like us. So there's, there's this order of sending amongst three persons who are completely equal. There's headship, there's submission, there's a, different, um, there's a distinction between them. There's, they're the same in essence, they're different in expression. And there's no contradiction whatsoever between those two things, between the perfect equality and the order, the headship, and the submission that we find in the Godhead. Does that make sense? Um, and, and those things were immediately to be seen then in everything God created in his image. So in creating Adam and Eve before the fall, he gave them, um, he gave them authority together to rule, to uh, rule together, to subdue, to have dominion together. Um, and yet there's an order between Adam and Eve. Adam came first. Eve came from Adam. The commandments about the tree and what they were allowed to eat were given to Adam. Um, Adam names Eve. Um, and then after the fall, when, when they've both fallen, even though, even though in a sense Eve led that, it's Adam who must give the account. So again, there's, there was an equality, uh, and yet there was an order, there was a headship, there was a, there was a submission. And, um, and after the fall, um, the words are changed. So although, although they were to have dominion together, chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 16, chapter 3, 16, uh, it uses slightly different words now. It says that the man will, will begin to dominate her and that she will, she will strive. So there's a corruption introduced into the way, even between the sexes, this, what, what should have been uh, equality with order, is, it begins to be expressed in a different way. Um, so if we want the best example, which we do, we look to the Godhead. Uh, and we rejoice in the fact that Jesus has now corrected things and we have the opportunity to express things just as he always intended. So, um, back to you, Rich. Going back to that, Ephesians 5 verse says, your Christ is the head of the church. And it's interesting that even in, in the church, there's a, a, a male, <laughs> divinely established male headship of Christ in the church that reveals something of how husbands are to be to wives and leadership within the church as well, we believe in. And, and it's really important to, to sort of say that this leadership is self-sacrificial. You, know, you can't just stop at wives submit to your husbands out of reverence for Christ. You have to read on and say, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Lay down his life for his devoted to washing her and preparing her and getting her ready and, and, and making her spotless and, and without any wrinkle or blemish. So there's this, there's this dynamic that we see between Christ and the church that's also seen in the Godhead of this beautiful expression of headship and submission. And I want to just talk a little bit about how that's expressed in the church and just to say this as well not every man is the head of every woman just want to make that clear okay 
is we're talking about in the home and we're talking about in the church. And we're talking about husbands and wives and we're talking about what we will be talking about in a moment is apostles and elders. Um, but, but it's not that every man is the head of every woman. Okay, just want to make that clear. Um, and just to say that in, in, the, in the life of the church, I think one of the challenges of the church has been that all ministry has been forced through the narrow door of eldership. For ministries to function in the life of the church, it seems that the only place that can happen is through elders. And I want to say that's not a biblical principle. And actually, the, the, the ministry within the church is diverse and it's rich. This is a gifted body. We all need one another. We all have gifts that are needed. And also, we'll talk in the video about the Ephesians 4 gifts of the ascended Christ to the church. Ephesians 4 ministries of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, teachers. Things that we have a revelation on that we want to lay hold of, that we need to grow in a revelation of. But just to say this, not all ministry can be, it should be and can be expressed through eldership. It's too narrow. And in fact, government in the church is, is for a very narrow group of people, for men and women, <laughs> of apostles and elders. It's, we're talking about a tiny percentage of the church. And it, uh, for, for us, we believe that uh, government is this expression of being able to bring about and oversee the direction of the life and the mission of the church. It's uh, godly government into the church. And, and there's a, a definite link between government and, and, he, and, and sort of headship in the church and apostles. So if you turn to 2 Corinthians 8, David's already, um, sorry, 2 Corinthians 10. I did this last time, didn't I? 2 Corinthians 10. Um, Paul makes it very clear that he has authority. The beautiful thing is how he chooses to use it. Second Corinthians eight ten. Ten verse eight. Why am I doing that? This is why we're doing it together. Second Corinthians ten eight. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. He says, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up, it doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. And then thirteen ten, if you just turn over a couple of pages, he says a very similar thing. I'm writing this to you before I come, hoping that I won't need to deal severely with you when I do come. And, and just to say this, when Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, he's speaking into many different things in the life of the church. He's speaking with an authority about church conduct, relationships, gatherings, use of money, all of these different things. He's speaking into the church because he has a government to the church. And he says, I want to use the authority the Lord has given me to strengthen you, not to tear you down. And then if you just turn over a few pages to 1 Thessalonians 2. One Thessalonians 2, 7. He talks very much in a parental way to the church. Apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make demands of some of you. But instead we were like children among you or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. And then if you go down a little further to verse 11. It says, and we know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you. And so we can see this, this, this role of government to the church to, to, to bring a rule, to bring direction, to bring um, about discipline and, and lots of different things that, that are related to, to government. When Paul and Barnabas then established churches, they appoint elders. That's the apostles' delegated authority in individual local churches. So apostles will often have government to lots of churches or a number of churches, but then within every local congregation, the apostle will appoint elders to have 
the, the, the headship there and under his delegated authority. And if you turn to Acts 15, it's almost like a little case study of, of how government works in the church. There's a big deal that's arisen of them, these Judean teachers that are coming into the church in Antioch and telling them they need to obey the law of Moses. And, and that means to be circumcised and other things as well. And it's interesting how this is dealt with because five times this um, issue around doctrine in the church is, is, is talked about very clearly by the apostles and the elders. So Acts 15 verse 2, Paul and Barnabas came accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. Mm-hmm. Verse 4, they, they, they met with the apostles and the elders. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. Um, verse 22, the apostles and the elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates. And then the letter is titled, this letter is from the apostles and elders, verse 23. There's something governmental about this role. And in Titus 1, 5, Paul writes to Titus and he says, I want you to put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town, overseers in every town. And we know the description of elders in 1 Timothy 3 are to be men who are husbands and fathers who are doing a good job in their own home so that they can express that in God's house and in God's home. They must be able to teach, but otherwise it's about their character and um, Peter writes, he says, as, as a fellow elder, this is how you ought to be, to oversee the sheep, to care for the flock, not with uh, domineering or lording it over them, but being a good example, doing it out of love, doing it graciously, doing it kindly. And so we believe that in the life of the church, that male elders and apostles are the two roles. But other than those two things, the gift of the apostle and the office of an elder, which is a very narrow <laughs> group of people. Other than that, all ministry, all gifts are available to all believers, men and women. Amen. Which is wonderful, isn't it? And we're going to talk more about that in part two. So just put another little question out to you. Um, what is your understanding of what an apostle is? What is your understanding of what an elder is? And in what ways have you seen the influence of apostles and elders in the life of the church? Especially that second question, really, or that third question. So just ask you to break again, chit-chat around, uh, Brown, particularly where you've seen the influence of apostles and elders. appreciate we, there's quite a mixed room here, so that might vary depending on, on your background and experience. But let's just talk about this question for a few minutes. Apologies if I was gaping a bit in the first session. Deborah came up to me in the break and said my top button was a little undone. She said, you're gaping a bit. I was very disappointed to see that button go on. Yeah. I understand. You're only human. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Josh is with me. So um, what we wanted to do in this last section was just actually, just um, in a sense, not even particularly with reference to the scriptures, although we will obviously do that, but but just speak quite personally actually about um, things that kind of matter and feel things that we each respectively feel um, concerned about in our stewardship as an apostle and as an elder. Um, we're not talking about other gifts at the moment, so Rich is speaking in his capacity as an elder in the church, although uh, there are gifts in Rich, but, but we'll talk more about how, how, how those things fit together in just a moment. So, so I just wanted to begin by just sharing and saying personally, as an apostle, what am I most concerned about? And... Um, 
The first thing I think is just to say, I'm most concerned that I serve Jesus faithfully and that I am never any more than a servant and never any less than a servant. And um, I'm really, I, I said a few weeks ago, I'm in love with his church and, and, and I, I feel a great care and concern for the church. That's not unique in, 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 in me or my gifting, but, but um, I'm bothered and concerned about anything that would damage the unity of the church, anything that would um, affect us in a negative way, that sense of feeling a father towards the church. And as, and as Paul says equally, Rich read from 1 Thessalonians, also there's a motherly care and affection for the church as well. Um, I, I'm concerned to see everything is really well built, that, that, that together we build beautiful churches. Um, Paul says he was a master builder. and uh, Interesting, I always wanted to be an architect in, in, my, other, in my pre-Christ life as well, but just to, to see what the building looks like, to see the plan, to see the, the building built really well. Um, I, I have a great concern and care for the elders and their wives amongst other people and um, you know, we're friends, we're co-workers. Um, we were in a, in a social setting recently where w- one of the elders' wives said, I remember when you said, oh no. <laughs> she said, you said that you imagined that we'd work together for the rest of our lives. I said, yes, I did. And she, she, remind, she remembered that moment. And, and I then, you know, we just talked about that a little bit. But, but that's how we feel together. We, we, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> we're together. Um, and as far as we know, it's for the rest of our lives. And that really matters. We're friends. We're co-workers. Um, that longing that we read about earlier to see the church come to full stature. My desire is not, that we, not just that we have great Sunday services. That's a small thing. My desire, my hope, my belief, my goal, my longing is that, is that the church represents Christ in this place. Yes. That the full stature of Christ is found in his church. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. Yes. He's full of love. He's full of mercy. That all of Christ will be seen in this church and others that I'm working in. Um, I, I feel a great weight of responsibility. And when Andrew and I first went to Kenya together and I... I appointed elders for the first time. I was saying to Andrew, I've never done this before. He said, no, nor have I. <laughs> and, and just feeling the weight of responsibility that all of heaven was watching. And it was no small thing. And subsequently doing that um, earlier this year with Mike and William again. And, and, and the weight of establishing, as I believe it's my task and responsibility, to establish the doctrine of this church. So that really matters. Heaven watches that as well. We, are, we want to build a firm foundation upon which something magnificent can be built. We don't want to move ancient boundary stones. That, that, that's a really big deal. Um, I feel I've been entrusted with a heritage through Kerry, through Bryn, that uh, is for me to handle with great care everything to do with the handling of finances that we can't be um, criticized for the way we handle God's money, the tithe. That's a really big deal. It is. It's God's money. And we, we have the human responsibility as elders and as apostles to make governing decisions about how the tithe is to be uh, best invested and how we can care for the poor and those in need and support ministry. 
And, um, and then I suppose the last thing to say really is, is mission is always at the heart of all I'm thinking about. I, I want us to be turned outwards. I want us to face the world with confidence, uh, knowing this is, his, this is harvest time. The harvest is here and now and, and never let go of that. So, uh, and then one final thing is, that t- is to be sure that I stay under authority. Uh, and for me, that's um, in my relationship with Kerry particularly, my accountability with the elders, um, and, to, and obviously to stay under the authority of Scripture so that, um, so that I have authority, the, the, the centurion principle. So there's some of the things that really matter to me in my function, and uh, Rich is going to talk a little bit about his, his functioning as an elder. Um, when Christopher and I were set in as elders together, that fateful day in Thomas Esley, um, prior to that, um, in being approached for both of us to, to consider that, um, probably a year or two earlier, I, I, I said I didn't want to do it. Um, because I understood the responsibility. I'd seen my dad carry that responsibility, my uncle and others. And I didn't have any rose-tinted glasses about what it would mean to be an elder, although it is a good thing to desire to be an elder, which the Bible tells us. Paul says that's, that's okay. But And then the Holy Spirit really pulled me up. I was reading in Romans 12, and it says, if God's given you the responsibility of leadership, take that responsibility seriously. And I was like, okay, I need to do this. But in, in being an elder, it's an office that we will that we, that we have for a period of time. And we've, we've seen that beautifully modeled in the life of this church by Stephen Peake, by Julian Bowden, um, men um, along with their wives who faithfully cared for the church and haven't gone anywhere. And the, the, the gift that's in them was there before they were elders. They functioned with that gift while they were in the office of an elder and they continue in that gift afterwards. Um, and it's a, it's a great example of, of, of what that means to be an elder. I, I, I became an elder and I will cease to be an elder at some point. When the grace is gone, I'll need to step out of it. But while I have that grace, while we have that grace, we function in that office. And, and our role is to oversee. One of the, the, the words for elders is episkopos. It means to, to oversee and to be poimen, which is the, the Greek word for shepherds, to shepherd the flock. And I just want to say, as an elder and as elders, we think about you guys all the time. Um, you may not feel that sometimes, and, and, um, and I hate the thought that anybody would feel that you're overlooked, um, but you're not. We pray, we pray for the church often, um, individually, and, co- and together we meet to pray for you. Um, we talk about the, the, the issues and the challenges, and we carry that um, in our hearts. We carry you in our hearts, and... And um, we, we have this role because we care yes. about you. Yes. Um, we're not perfect leaders. We know that. Um, we miss things. We know that. Um, but, but, I, but I hope that you know that we're, we're here for you. Yes. That if you need to ask us something, if you need to come and talk to us about things, uh, don't carry stuff around. Um, if you can't deal with it, come and talk to us because we want everybody to be in unity. Um, with one another and, and with us. That's, that's an absolute desire of our heart, is that we, I hope, that, I, that we are approachable. Yes. Um, and therefore, to know the word, to pray for you, to prioritize those things in, the, in all the other things that we can sometimes get pulled into is a constant reminder that when I need to be in the word, I need to be in prayer. If I'm going to be successful in what I do, those two things are absolutely of prime importance. And when I read the word, I need to read it for me first, not for the church because actually for us, we want you to be well-fed. We want to meet, um, be, to be practical about what we share. 
Um, and again, not perfect at that, but to, to, just to express that really. And also just to say this, the, the leaders and those who take responsibility within this church, whether they're deacons, whether they're life group leaders, whether they're youth leaders, children's workers, people who are just getting on with things, serving in, in their jobs and in the communities, we are so blessed by what you do. And we want to be a support to you in those things. Um, good doctrine matters to us. The fact that we need to oversee the, the sacraments that we are, are observing, that everybody is, who's a believer is baptized in water, that we're regularly rem- gathering around the table to break bread together, that, we, that we're available to you. If you need to be anointed with oil, as James 5 instructs, please call on us. Please don't wait. But say, if, if you're sick, call on us to come. And here's the thing, although we have a, a headship towards you, we also submit to you. Because if you call us, we'll come. And we'll anoint you with oil and pray for you. To bring a, a clear direction to the church to, as David described, the stewardship of finances, that we do that really well because it's God's money. When you tithe and as a supported person, you're not paying my wages. You're giving to God what's his. It comes into the storehouse. And from this storehouse, we're able to support people, bless the, those who are in need and, and carry out the mission that God has for us. And to make sure that the church is functioning well. And, and I just want to say this above all else. I could not do this without Sarah. Amen. Um, that her insights, her challenges, her encouragement, um, I would be a fool to ignore what she has to say. And, I would, and she wouldn't let me anyway. <laughs> um, and, you know, when we talk about headship, it's, 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 it's partnership. It's about a loving submission to one another. It's about listening to her because her insights and perspectives enrich mine massively. And, and all, all of us elders would say that. that although we are, the buck stops with us and, and we believe in a male eldership, we also believe that men can't be elders if their wives are not fantastic, strong women of God. And I just want to make that really clear. Okay. Um, and, and that we Let's hear have, it for the sisters. <laughs> That took a turn. Um, and, and so just, just to make that really clear, and also then the ministries within the church, um, whether that's men, men or women, as elders, we also respond to, the, for example, the, as, as, as a prophet in the church for Deborah or, or Andrew, the words they bring will shape and influence our decisions. Yes. So I just want to just exp- express that a little bit and, and just say it's an absolute privilege yeah. to be an elder. Yeah. And, um, and it's... It's a, it's a role that, that, I, that I cherish or that we cherish, and I just want to just express that, really. Thank you. Um, we're just going to just say something about the benefits and blessings of um, authority and submission. There we go. Um, is this me or you, Rich? Yeah. Yeah, it's me and you. So, so I think we've not put any words up there, actually, but, but just get, uh, hopefully this has come through in everything we've been sharing, but... Some of the benefits of embracing God's arrangement for his church are tremendous security. Jesus could strip off his garments, put a towel around his waist, wash men's feet because he was so secure in the authority that he was under. Hebrews 13 says to submit to authority is for your own good. It's for your benefit. And so it's a blessing for us when when we submit. I thought we could just tag team these. No, that's great. And um, um, to, to, there, there's great blessing in being accountable. I, I love the fact that I am accountable in my life. I can't 
do what I want. I'm accountable to Deborah, to elders, to Kerry, um, to the Lord above all, and to the Scriptures. I'm, I'm accountable. And the, the last thing is that as we submit, then we have authority. Yes. You know, if we want to see breakthrough, if we want to move in power, we can't do that unilaterally. We do that as men and women who are under submission. Yes. And therefore, as a result, we have power and authority to see things change. So, um, next time, the, the midweek thing. Um, today's focus has been very much on, as Richard said, quite a narrow, uh, a narrow area of, of, of government in the church. But we want to broaden it in the midweek to look at the gifting that's in the whole body. And I want to just read a verse for you to be meditating on for the next week or so. Um, it's in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. 1 Peter 4, verse 10, and it says, uh, Based on the gift they have received, everyone should use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. Could you just read that, Rich, from the New Living? God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So have a think about that verse. 1 Peter 4 verse 10. And um, that will be great uh, preparation for what we want to share next time. I hope you found this helpful. And we're open to any questions people have got. Probably not now because we need to um, get the kids back in. But if you want to pick up with us afterwards, if there's anything we've shared that you'd like some further explanation on, you are very welcome to. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.